0: the litigation psychology podcast brought to you by courtroom sciences dr steve wood with me the road warrior speech extraordinaire bill Kanaski. bill how are you losing my voice i'm yeah. exhausted you've been on the road a lot talking a lot speaking the a speak, lot right
1: the speaking tour is out of control it is out of control um but it's all good we got some really good audience um a lot of insurance audiences um did a couple law firms Last week and uh, it's 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 coming around. It's coming around. I'm seeing um the insurance defense industry, you know, being more aggressive and proactive, not uh not waiting around to get thumped, which is nice. But unfortunately, there's still a few out there. Still get those couple calls where you know mediation's failed, trials imminent, and they call, you know, they call in a pure panic and then you know you're you're dealing with really bad testimony on the defense side and sometimes there's just not enough time to do any jury research and when you're when you're doing that i mean you're really you're really going in um you're really going into the courtroom two touchdowns behind yeah because <laughs> if your adversary um we know how much the plans part does jury research Um, they've done it. They're ready. They've got damaging testimony from the defense. I I think it's really hard to bounce back from that. Um, we just had a
0: conversation actually with, with, with one of our friends, right. Who talked about how Casey went into where the plaintiff actually mocked it. What five times you said.
1: Yeah, it's, 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 it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, but that's what they do, particularly when they know they've got a winner, they'll do serial, serial projects to keep tweaking two things they they tweak two things and i know this for a fact because i've uh they brag about it they've bragged about it uh, and it's gotten back to me back channel but uh they will tweak their their themes their pro plaintiff themes to make sure they're razor sharp for the jury but the other thing that they're doing is they're te- they're testing their damages arguments to see where that line is uh cuz you know as well as i do if they come in and they ask for some absurd amount of money, it can turn the jury off, and if they ask for too little money, they're they're losing money, and so they will they will uh, adjust their damages arguments uh, and demands to the to the mock jurors, and see what type of um, response they get, and then they'll find the sweet spot. Uh, the one from Cook County, Illinois, um, I think it's like three or four years ago. I think it's the biggest verdict in Cook County. Uh, In state court which is like 132 million dollars um he came out very openly the plaintiff attorney uh, after the verdict and said he mocked it nine times over like a three-year period or whatever because he had to know you know what was you know he didn't want to he wanted to persuade jurors not get them um they he wanted to get them sympathetic uh wanted to get them a little bit angry but not angry at him um so he had figured out that, in a couple of these mocks, he is asking for way too much, and that was turning the jurors off, and they were punishing him, you know, in their decisions. Um, so he found the he he found the balance, but he he did the homework. Of course, the defense didn't do squat in that case, yeah, you know, I think and,
0: you know what we haven't talked about, and I know in the the podcast we want to talk about today is not necessarily about anchoring damages, but I think it's a good segue into what you're yeah. talking about. I think, you know, as far as the defense bar, when they do anchor damages, you know, the question becomes, do you do more than one mock trial to anchor your damages? Because if not, let's say, for example, you anchor too low, piss the jury off. But then after that, you turn around, and you anchor too high, now you end up paying more than you need to. So the question becomes, does yeah. the defense bar need to take a page from that book and find out where their anchor needs to be?
1: I think on the right cases, yes, when you have, when you start getting demands, I think over $25 million, and you're in the excess money, i think that answers yes i i you're crazy if you don't um but you know as usual um you know cost is, is typically a factor in these and timing if it's too late in the game so you know the tools are out there and i guess as the 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 defense you have to make the assessment is you know what's the cost of doing the research versus what is the cost of not doing it yeah and I would argue the cost of not doing it is a hell of a lot more expensive than doing it. <clears throat> but you know, some corporations and some insurance companies know the importance of this, and will invest that time, that effort, and that money to get the right answers. And when that, ha- I'm st- 20 years of doing this. I've never seen a defendant lose by by doing by doing that. <laughs> right. Um, because they they learn they learn how to lose during the research process, and the, the, all that you know all those mistakes get made before trial. Otherwise, the mistakes get made in trial, and then it's gonna it's gonna cost you. So it seems like a no-brainer, you know, keep fighting that battle, um, you know, with various uh, insurance um, carriers.
0: And that kind of brings us to what we're talking about today, too, right? is, is losing and then who do we look at? When we lose. Yeah, but.
1: let's talk about this. This is this is not gonna be a pretty podcast. Well, half of it's not gonna be pretty. Uh, we'll see if we get into the other topics, see how much time we have. Um, the um yeah, the the and remind me of my rant at the end. Um the I want to start with the rant because this I think this topic is kind of a rant uh in itself. It is. But the, okay, so I posted this on LinkedIn the other day and I posted uh jury consultants, colon. Uh, secret weapon or scapegoat. Now we've both had these experiences. I've had more than you because uh, I'm just I'm I'm an old man now, <laughs> and um, the scapegoat phenomenon. Now when when the defense wins, everything's everything's great, right? Um, as 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 UNC coach Roy Williams famously said on uh, multiple times yeah you know, every everything's great when the ball's going in the basket everything's great when the ball's going in the basket when it's not going in the basket like my team this year uh, every press conference you know the the finger pointing starts and and that's what happens when the defense loses and um you got defense counsel sometimes pointing fingers at the client or the the claims person for the insurance company saying you didn't give me the weaponry I needed, you know. I, I, you know, you gave me, you only gave me enough money for mediocre experts where the plaintiff, you know, they spent the money on, you know, better experts, you know, stuff like that. You know, I wanted a focus group or a mock trial, you wouldn't let me, so I'm going in the, you know, I'm going into trial cold, or, you know, the witnesses stunk because I needed this and you went pay for, you know, a lot of stuff like that. And then, you know, it can go the other way. The insurance company can blame the Defense counsel saying, "Well, you, know, you didn't do the right things. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. Um, you know, it's it, it's ugly, ugly, ugly. No matter what, and it, it's a, it's never a positive thing. But then that's where we come in, is where uh, we get part of the, the part of the finger pointing, um, you know, process. And so now, um, you know, knock on wood. Um, luckily enough, you know, I haven't had you know again when things are done the right way, I haven't had a client." Do things the right way go all the way to trial and just get thumped because it just doesn't the odds of that are really really low if you do uh things the right way but i have been in a position um and this goes for discovery too not even trial where um you know i've worked with a witness and it you know the witness has significant problems stuff that I I came across that defense counsel never saw because there were more, you know, you typically psychological or emotional things. Um, and the witness was highly vulnerable. And I went back to them afterwards and said, listen, this one session ain't gonna cut it. We're not even halfway there because this person has, you know, anxiety problems or fear problems or anger problem, whatever it is. And then, you know, client says, no, no, one session will be fine, that's all I wanna pay for, you know, and then they go and they, they bomb their debt. And then it's like, well, whose fault is that? And some finger pointing starts. Um, there's been other, you know, times where you know cases have settled at the last minute, and there was um, mass chaos on the defense, and where a lot of fingers were getting pointed um, to where they say, well, we don't agree with Kanasky's mock trial results. We don't think they did it the right way, and we we don't buy that. Yeah, I, all kinds of you know uh, crazy things. I've had attorneys actually tell me that they want to hire me just to be there for jury selection, which which I'm very against. And I'll tell you why in a second. And I've had attorneys, t- defense counsel, tell me right to my face or over the phone saying, I want you there. So if I lose, I, you're part of this ship going down. You're part of the blame. I can blame you. I've had I've had defense counsel actually tell me to my face like this to my face saying the reason why I have you here for this witness prep is not because I need you. It's because if this witness screws up. I'm blaming you or we're sharing the blame. I'll tell you, I mean, wide open with this, right? Have you had some experiences like this too?
0: I, I have never actually had anybody wide open say, I, I need to be able to point the finger. I need you, you to share in the blame. But sometimes I've gotten to the point where I feel like that's where we're being brought in or where we're being set up essentially, to, you know, fall victim to that if something goes sideways and say, hey, well, I brought in the jury consultant. Don't, it's not my fault. The jury consultant didn't do their job.
1: Yeah, so let, let me, okay. Okay, so I'm going to tell the audience right now. If you need help with jury selection, okay, and you have not done any jury research at all, you just want one of us to show up for jury selection, okay? Don't, don't bother calling because I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not doing it anymore. Now imagine this, let's, let's have an analogy, right? Say, Steve, say, 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 your wife, okay. For whatever reason, okay. Has to have major heart surgery. And you go to the cardiologist, cardiologist says, Hey, I got to call in the surgeon, whatever. And there's a team meeting, right? Your wife has to have surgery. And they say, you know, we're, we're just going to skip the MRI and the imaging studies prior to this surgery. We're just going to go in and, and we think we know what's wrong. We're just going to, we have a lot of experience. We're just going to go in and fix it. But we're going to skip the, the image. You know, we're not going to get the MRI, right? We're not going to do any of these scans. We're just, we're just going to go in and fix it because we're experienced. You know, we, we think we know what we're doing here. Would you be comfortable with that?
0: No, you never did. I don't think anybody would be comfortable no. with that.
1: So asking me to pick a jury in the absence of jury research on your case, that's idiotic.
0: Well, I think it's the other stupid. thing is we could go in there and pick the best jury. But let's say, for example, your counsel is not very good. Um, yeah. your, your, your witnesses stink. Uh, there's a lot of deficiencies mm-hmm. across the board, a lot of other aspects. It doesn't You're matter. you to me. Yeah.
1: You're going to, okay. So you have a shitty case and you're going to bring me in. Okay. Two bad things happen, right? If you, I help pick your jury, you lose. I'm getting blamed because you're going to blame the jury, not your shitty case, right? Yeah. Your witnesses think you had no jury research. Your expert was terrible. I'm getting blamed for that. But here's the other bad thing if you win, going forward, you're going to say, well, I don't need jury research. I just, I got this genius to pick. No, no. So the problem with jury selection and jury consultants for jury selection is you give more credit and more blame than really, because if you pick a good jury and you win, well, jury selection was part of that win. It wasn't 50%. Your witness performance, right? Your themes, your opening statement, your experts. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things going on. And while it's important, it, it can't get too much credit, but at the same time, if things go south, it shouldn't get too much blame either. And I, I see that, I see more and more, uh, well, you and I had a case. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, again, we're not going to tell you who it is, obviously. We're not even telling you what state this is in, but it was very clear. Let's just say the corporate client and insurance client, right? They, they, they were on team bill and team steve uh the trial attorneys not so much they didn't like working with us they thought they knew everything right and we did multiple jury projects and then when it comes time for jury selection right which is a pretty intimate relationship you have with with defense counsel because everything's on the line during jury selection is so important all of a sudden right he's demanding one of us be there right demand now th- before now, before there this, was no
0: demand before it was get yeah, these guys before out of here it
1: was we don't need this focus group we don't need this mock trial i know how to i don't need you i don't need i've been trying cases for 30 years but now all of a sudden you demand us being and ready right for this well i'm not no I, i'm not gonna say it it's is gonna give it i'm just saying that case ended up settling but you see what's going on here yeah You just wanted me there. So if you lost, you're going to blame me. Right? I, Okay, I mean, no one wants to talk about this. That's exactly what happened. So a couple of parameters going forward for, this is for defense counsel and for our insurance audience, right? It's doing, if you want to hire a jury consultant to help you pick your jury, and there's been no jury research done, the only the only thing the jury consultant can do that's me that you is use our general experiences and knowledge of jury behavior, which may not apply to your specific case because you have unique case facts. Right. Right. I mean, if I know what types of jurors we're looking for and not looking for because we've done the jury research, that translates into jury selection. You pick a really good jury. Otherwise, you know. My jury experience in Miami, and now you're dragging me to Des Moines, Iowa, and say, "Yeah, well, you, yeah. no, it doesn't tra- it doesn't translate." And I see that scapegoat thing happening. I also think that that maybe clients and maybe even defense counsel that don't understand that um, the importance of the jury research in aspect to our decision making. Um, because uh, Steve, why don't you talk a little bit about this? is the types of things we're looking for in the research that helps us design the voir dire and gives us that kind of unique, like we we have the generic pro plaintiff profile, but that may not apply to all cases. Tell me how like the unique juror profile is so important to the actual jury selection.
0: Yeah, I think like you said, is there's kind of a general you know, world of what a pro plaintiff or a pro defense juror looks like. But then, like I said, there's very case specific factors that we can only identify through this type yep. of research like what are the what are the two or three different topics that have resonated with the juror that has you know led them to side with one side or the other those are the things you identify so obviously those are the attitudinal experiences and beliefs that you identify that that juror resonates with so that you can ask the questions like you said during Poirier to to bring those out and and if they go one way or the other it gives you a little bit more of an idea as far as you know what type of what type of person they are who they're going to side with Which goes back to another thing, too, is I hate when I get asked about what does the demographics of my ideal juror look like?
1: Yeah, it's I know. Yeah. Or, yeah, I get calls. I get calls all the time on Sunday on Sunday nights. I get texts and phone calls. I'm picking a jury tomorrow. What do you think? And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You got to be kidding. That's not how it works. Right. Not how it works. That's not how this process works. So. Going forward, um, you know, defense counsel, you know if if you want to, to use a jury consultant, the, I think the skill set, I don't care how experienced you are. the skill sets can be limited in the absence. It's again, the heart surgeon needs the imaging studies to know what's wrong before they go break open your wife's chest, Steve. right? They're gonna crack open her chest. they've done the homework. they know exactly where to go. They know which artery is occluded, okay? If they don't have the imaging studies, how the hell are they going to figure it out? Well, I mean, it's Well, I just have the
0: medical charts. Yeah, I got well, what if I had the medical charts yeah. without the imaging, yeah. right? But it's I've just,
1: done this surgery so many times and, yeah. you know. I,
0: yeah, so. That's maybe like, that's I, like, a, here's the case facts, right? And the depots, yeah. you, the, what, 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 what more do you need? Well, there's a lot type
1: more. of Yeah, the other call. Uh, what type of jurors am I looking for? What, what, what are you talking about? Yeah. Right.
0: But I think it goes back to an education thing, though. I guess maybe just to, to take to play devil's advocate a little bit, maybe it goes back to a, a just kind of a, a misunderstanding about what we bring to the table or or what's needed or or kind of what our role is as far as the limitations on what we can do with, with, yeah. with the limited information.
1: Yeah, Let, let's transit and okay. I'm I'm taking wicked left turn here. The other All topic right. we're gonna talk about, different podcast. I'm not going I'm sticking with this because I got into a friendly argument uh, on a uh, call. Okay. So I'm giving a speech. So I'm on a panel. And I gotta, I'm not going to say that one either. Uh, I'm not going to say what a speech is, but I'm, a, I'm on a panel with uh, a trial attorney, a uh, corporate attorney, and it's me. And we're talking about jury research. And of course the corporate attorney on the call this morning gives me this huge attitude is this bitching and moaning about the cost, and it doesn't have to be this complicated. And why does this cost so much? And why does this cost so much? And the plaintiffs do it this way and blah, 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 blah. And just started just talking about cutting all these corners, thinking that validity and reliability and accuracy are just going to magically show up, Steve, if we cut all these corners. Let's, so I wanted this podcast to kind of transition to his corners that you want to cut to save money, they're going to kill your validity, your reliability and your accuracy of your results. The first one that came up is, you know, we don't need to be paying these mock jurors so much money. I mean, just throw somebody 50 bucks, have them sit there and give you your opinions. And we don't need to be you know, re using a recruiter. And, you know, I can, I can get people, for, I mean, she's talking about doing th- like doing things with family members, friends, I can get a group of people from the office and run this case by them and get wow. valid. And I stopped her. I'm like, are you out of your mind? And she looked right at me on the zoom and she's like, well, I don't know if I buy all this science stuff. I'm like, Oh my God.
0: There lies, lies your problem.
1: Oh my God. I, I mean, so it kind of got into a friendly argument. So Steve, let's, Let's talk a couple things. Okay. Let's first talk about the the what the sample needs to look like. And then we'll talk about why you want to compensate them quite heavily because we have to fill in certain categories. But but talk to our audience about why you just can't go get 18 unemployed homeless people and stick them in 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 your jury research at $25 a pop and a Starbucks card. How that's going to kill your results.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, short of us, and normally having to find any sort of surrogate panels, the idea is to always actually do it in the venue where the case is going to be. Because you want to match the demographics. You want to match, hopefully, some of the uh, attitudes, experiences, thought processes, and all those across the board so that you have a panel that looks, talks, and acts like your actual jury panel. You know know me that I'm a big stickler for that, right? One of my always things is I always make sure that when the client walks in i want the client to be able to look at it and say those look like our jurors because going back to to not deviate and go completely back to scapegoating but we've had that before too where people have poo-pooed and try to say well i don't agree with these results because those this isn't our jury panel it's like it's, it's your, your jury panel you, whether jury you like panel. it or not but this is your jury panel well here's
1: the thing all right, all right so again defense bar i'm telling you you know my number one rule right? And I say it for sports. Don't blame the refs. Look in the mirror, and unless it's a Duke game. If it's Duke basketball, you can blame the refs all you want. Do not blame the refs. Look in the mirror. And you're ready for this? So after nuclear verdicts, you see it online. Oh, these jurors are crazy. They're, they've yeah. lost their mind. It's like, no, 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 no. You got your ass handed to you is what happened. Okay. Stop blaming the jurors but then what happens you and i'll do a mock trial they blame the mock jurors right right when things don't work out their way they're like, oh this is a, this is a shitty study I-
0: yeah but that goes back to why you have to ma- want to match the venue yeah. though why it becomes important why you can't just get like you said the bums off the street is why you have to have jurors who looked and act like your normal panel so you can a get your more valid results but b not be able to say, this is why the results turn out way because it's a shitty panel. No, it's because the results are the results because maybe the case facts are bad.
1: And um, also um, talk about how you need to screen these people and why you want to eliminate them because there is no voir dire in a mock trial. Now, we've done that before in mock trials. It happens like twice a year because it's extraordinarily expensive. I mean, um, it's just not practical, but there's no voir dire for mock trial, but we can screen them. Um, talk about a little bit about that process and how that's so important. So you're you're actually getting non-biased, neutral people that don't or that aren't conflicted out of the case.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously we always want to screen for any sort of knowledge of the parties, screen for any sort of knowledge or experience in the areas Industry. where the case is taking yeah. place. Um, you know, and then to some extent get some background information right on their attitudes, experiences, and that so that we don't, to your yeah. point, have extremely biased jurors. And I think that's why a lot of times we work with defense counsel to talk to them and say, what else should we be looking for? Like, what are these areas that are going to get somebody automatically struck for cause? The problem is they're not, those are few and far between, you know, how many times have we had where an attorney says there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of opportunity for cause challenges. They're going to, for the most part, going to be able to let on the jury.
1: Yeah. Were were you, were you, were you at the conference? It wasn't me. Were you the one at the conference where the attorney was speaking about jury research and said, oh, you could just pay him 50 bucks. You don't have to. Was that you?
0: No, I don't think I would have. I would have fallen out of my chair. (laughs)
1: It was somebody. Somebody has said that. And and I said, but that got back to me saying, you don't have to pay these people a lot of money. You just for 50 bucks, they'll sit there for the day. No, they won't. won't. Um, You can't get people to take an actual job right now, Steve there are men out there not working because they just don't want to get you have to pay these people I mean talk a little bit about how you have to compensate these people pretty darn well because otherwise it's it's difficult to fill in some of those demographic categories right if you just pay if you paid 50 bucks only for the day only a certain type of person is going to show up
0: yeah and you know and you might get the. Uh... 18 to 24 year old who who still lives at home with mom and dad and doesn't have yeah. a job and, and wants to kill some time. But a lot of times we're trying to get the 40 to 55 year old professional male or female and stuff and filling those. Those are people who are at work. Those are people that you have to pay enough to entice them to take a day off of work or to yeah. do something to be able to come in and say, you know, my time is much more valuable than 50 bucks for eight hours worth of work.
1: Yeah, otherwise you're just going to get a bunch of low SES people, and some proportion of your jury is going to be middle class or higher SES. And if you're not off, so you're, you're going to miss out, um, and then you're going to have uh, an invalid sample. So I think sampling's um, really important. I think the um, um, the content, right? So what you're what you're showing to your to your mock jurors um i think the number one mistake yeah i see is like hey um we want to screw us yeah so this case is super complex there's two co-defendants we want to squeeze this into one day yeah can't do it bad idea no
0: you can't it it can't do it because you know obviously we know that these mock trials and focus groups are are highly truncated because the case might take three four weeks and stuff but That doesn't necessarily mean though that you need to mush everything into one day and and gloss over certain aspects now you don't have to go into them in extreme detail but at the same time you probably need to give those jurors enough of a flavor to get an understanding so that they can evaluate the information
1: yeah yeah and and that's why i see and so you end up if at the end of the project you have more questions than answers yeah um you know it's 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 going to be a problem um Another corner I see cut again to, to save money is you you don't have yeah, you, know, you, you don't get a true trial attorney to put on the your adversary's case and your mock. Yeah, you give it to say maybe some junior level person at a lower rate, and then they just get clobbered because they don't have as much trial experience and you're not just talking about how the, the importance. So if you're a defense, if you're the defense, how how the importance of the quality of the plaintiff's presentation is, and have if you have a weak pre- plaintiff's presentation, your results probably are not going to be accurate,
0: yeah, I think that's one of the things, although we do we do work with a lot of good clients who tend to yeah. take their most seasoned veteran attorney who's been living the case inside yeah. and out and put them as the plaintiff attorney. I agree, but we've seen other times where they have had them play the defense, right? And then you bring in, like you said, a junior attorney to play the plaintiff. And then what ends up happening is you get a full defense verdict and you feel great about it going into trial and thinking that you have such a strong case. But that's only because the person on the other side who was presenting it wasn't putting forth the strongest case, wasn't arguing it quite the same way as plaintiff counsel. I mean, how many times have we heard that where we have you have a a bombastic or very articulate and very, you know, engaging type attorney on the plaintiff side. And then the person you have in the mock trial is someone who doesn't come remotely close to having any of those qualities.
1: And I think there's a timing issue because I think there's some, whether it be a corporate defendant or an insurance company is well, maybe the case will settle. Maybe the case will settle. Maybe the case, oh shit, oh shit, case isn't settling. Can you tell, um, don't give out prices by the way, yeah. um, but can you tell our audience the difference between, let's just call it a, a one day or a two day mock trial, what the, what the cost of that, okay? What the difference is between doing it 90 days before trial versus one year before trial, what's, what's the cost difference?
0: The cost difference? Well, for us, on our standpoint, there is no cost difference. There is, there's there. none. But there's to them, none. there's a big cost difference because now you're not prepared.
1: Well, yeah, because if you do it ninety days, so if you do it ninety days before trial and you find something devastatingly wrong, um, mm-hmm. and you and, and you, you do very very poorly, um, there's not a lot of time to make adjustments, not a lot of time to fix things. Whereas if you're you know if you're a year out, um, you're still Uh, and you find the same thing well a you have an opportunity to fix some of those things hopefully and then b if not uh plenty of time to try to resolve the case um because i think once you get that close to trial the the other side is if they if they know you're not ready that's um they're gonna go pedal to the metal and they're they're not gonna want to talk settlement if they if they smell any blood in the water either they're not going to talk settlement or they're going to drastically increase their settlement demand, knowing that you desperately want to get out of the case right
0: yeah, it definitely puts you at a disadvantage for any sort of settlement negotiations
1: yeah, so you know the the I know everybody wants to save money <clears throat> um, you know not a <laughs> you yeah. Yeah, online projects really don't cost much less and bring in um i'm not gonna I'm not gonna go there too much because I know I'm gonna get people angry at me. Um, it's just it's not the same. um we 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 know that, and um it's just really kind of mixing apples and oranges. I think you have a severe, severe validity problem um, with with that and in and in 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 many cases because it's just so different than what happens at an actual trial <clears throat> um that there's not much i mean i guess if there comes a point in this country where civil trials are regularly tried online okay then we'll start <laughs> we'll start doing that with all of our uh, of all with all of our jury projects uh, that is not the case i don't think that's ever going to be the case i think hearings and stuff will be done online i think there's stuff like that but i don't think with the and the civil system, uh, unless it's some crazy venue, right, that still wears masks, <laughs> uh, probably, uh, they may they may start to do it on every case. But until that happens, you know, doing it in person, you're going to get far more um, validity, you're going to get far more uh, reliability and, and and accuracy. And I mean, the whole point of this is accuracy, because you want to make the right decisions, right? And that's the you know, I say it during every you know, it's the Kenny Rogers song. You got to know when to hold them. You got no one. Do you want me to sing this or do you just want me to say it?
0: Are you sure you can sing it if you want.
1: And yeah. know when hold them. You, you can do the background when to hold them, get yeah, right. Know no. when to fold them, when to fold them, right? yeah. There you go. <laughs> know when to walk away, know when to run, right? You got to know what to do. And so when you look at these bad verdicts, it's the same story every time, is that they didn't know the true severity of the case, right? And they went into they went into this war without the proper weaponry um, and they should have folded them, right? I saw this very interesting presentation. Um, I got to send you this, by the way. Um, it was on YouTube, it was a plaintiff attorney I won't tell you who it is, but he gave a great presentation. It was a fantastic presentation. Uh, I will say that this particular plaintiff attorney, I have heard from a lot of defense attorneys that is a great, great human being, does things the right way, gets big, big verdicts, uh, is very reasonable to work with. So actually defense counsel likes this particular plaintiff attorney, very, very popular guy. And one of his slides criticized the, the defense bar. and and defendants as a whole saying the reason why I get a lot of these huge verdicts is because you guys don't admit a liability when you need to, because you don't, you don't do your jury research like I do. And there are so many cases where if you would just admit fault, the jury's going to come back with a reasonable damage towards, but then you idiots go and you deny liability and you fight and you fight and you fight. And then I just rip you a new one in front of this jury and they come back with a nuclear verdict. I mean, Steve, I mean, have you, I mean, I have certainly seen this, the uh, reluctance of a defendant to admit liability, but can you talk about how the jury research is designed to tell you whether or not you should do that?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think we've definitely seen it before and there's been times, you know, you and I might have conversations offline on like, geez, the case facts in this situation don't look good as far as to try to, to fight liability. You're better off to admit liability, but yeah, I mean, there's this kind of test retest model that we can do where we, for example, do one day where we don't admit liability, see how it turns out. And then the next day do where we do admit liability and see how it turns out. And at least it gives you a better sense for how jurors are going to receive that and give you a better, at least a better idea in whether you should or you shouldn't. And I think a lot of times if you're on the verge of that, it's probably one of those things you better definitely test because you don't want to pick the wrong one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But you know, if you want to save money then you could skip all that and then but if you it's it's i mean again the the cost of not knowing is just staggering right i mean it's staggering and again we've had some uh we have we have a couple current clients right now that are actually insurance companies um that have a very very different philosophy than most uh insurance companies and boy are they aggressive and they know they have figured it out they've cracked the code and we helped them crack the code and they're like, yeah. You know, when well, we make better decisions, it it saves. Yeah, that co- it costs money to make those better decisions, but we save so much money in the end, and that's their philosophy. And I, I think plaintiff attorneys don't like. I think they're a huge deterrent. They don't like uh, going up against those particular companies because they know um, this is a uh, this is a formidable foe. And so I think becoming a deterrent uh, is something. Is something very, um, is very powerful. So I think jury research is, it, it, to sum this up, jury research is really important, not on every case, but your higher exposure cases. Um, don't just call a jury consultant for general advice or to just come pick your jury, because if they don't have any data from your venue and they're just going on their generalized overall experience, I think the effectiveness uh, is cut way down uh, of Absolutely. your consultant.
0: Yeah, oh, I don't want to I, leave this. Though you have a rant uh, that you need, or we're we going to call call it a day on this and save your rant for another time.
1: Oh no, no, I, I, I definitely, I definitely got a rant. But it's, it's really just I have a question for you, and then I'm going to have a rant after this because I think that you're going to disagree with me. We haven't talked about this. All right. So, um, okay, so you did. Okay, so you're, yeah, you're after your mock trial. You're after your witness prep. You're at the hotel restaurant. You order chicken wings. You go on ranch or blue cheese. Ranch okay that's uh, Actually, disgusting. no. You know, I take that back.
0: Sometimes I don't know. Sometimes I go a little bit of both, but I think ranch. Would
1: okay, be- let's let's let me get this off my chip. Okay, ranch is disgusting, and I knew you're going to say ranch, and that's why I was going to rant all over you. Ranch is disgusting, whether it be on a salad or on particularly the the chicken. It's blue cheese all the way. It's, it's- this is this is this is actually more important than me. Remember the whole uh Brenda Smith uh, cracker debate? The Triscuit.
0: Yeah, Triscuit. Crack- yes.
1: Okay, you don't eat Ritz, right? Like like five year olds eat Ritz. Okay. Adults, regular human beings, and, and, and people that have good taste and class, eat triscuits. It's the best cracker out there. This is not even debatable. You and I have this debate,
0: and I don't, I won't debate that with you. So I agree with that. But but,
1: but but ranch on wings. You know, I know I just offended half of our audience, but I'm sorry. This is this is not even close i do this like a not, good blue here's cheese the problem baby, steve, Just steve, not on my here's the problem steve they look exactly like each other is the problem and do you ever get it where like yes this is disgusting right i asked for blue cheese and then halfway through the bite i figure out holy shit this is ranch and like i want to spit food out on my plate
0: i i knew this is where was, I, i'm assuming yeah. you had some experience where this happened and you were pissed about it's
1: gross oh, it's gross it's, it's disgusting <laughs> It's the discuss- It's like when when I halfway, you know, it's like you take that huge bite of a of a cheeseburger, and then you figure out, like in the first two chews, you're like, "Oh my god, there's mayonnaise on this!" And yeah, it just ruins the whole. I'm telling you, experience. next time we
0: go out to dinner, I'm gonna I'm gonna pay the the waitstaff extra to put mayonnaise and mushrooms on your burger.
1: Yeah. I'm not falling for the uh, banana in the tailpipe. Okay, I'm not doing that. What movie? What movie?
0: Oh, I should know this, but I would not Right off the top of my head.
1: Beverly Hills Cop, Eddie Murphy. Ah, yeah. Just what? Banana in the Tailpipe.
0: Classic. Detroit you know, Lion.
1: Beverly Hills Cop. folks. Uh, see, our younger attorneys, like, have no idea who Eddie Murphy is probably, right?
0: Those are some great stand-ups, you know? Now, now it's great. Bill Burr and all the other one, but some Eddie Murphy, some early, raw and delirious. That was...
1: Okay, well, the things Eddie Murphy did on that stage, he, can, he could not do on the stage.
0: Correct, in yes.
1: 2023 and bill burr pushes it to the limit you're going to see bill burr aren't you
0: i am going to see bill burr yeah
1: i am i'm very um i'm highly jealous i'm a little offended i didn't get a little invite there
0: well you can come up i got an extra ticket so you can find your way up to college station you can come
1: i i may have to i may have to figure that out because he's but get some work in that.
0: houston and then drive up
1: yeah that's that's one of the few i i, I listen to like, i have like five different six different podcasts to listen to he is, uh, he is near the top of that list, but uh, I think it's a good podcast. We'll cover the witness stuff uh, next time, but uh, I think you wrap up and get us out of here.
0: Sounds good. All right, as always, thanks to everybody for listening. If you need, you know, check us out, courtroomsciences.com, podcast, blogs, all of that out there. Reach out to me or Bill if you need anything. We're always on LinkedIn. Like I said, we're always, always happy to talk. This has been another edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast brought to you by Courtroom Sciences.
1: That's it.